Hello and welcome to Cup of Cully. I am your host, the best podcast host in the universe, Steve Cully. And with me, my exemplary counterpart, Mr. Josh Cup. Yes, I am here. Who is actually driving. We are on location in a Ford Bronco, which I've never been in and I've always wanted to. So this is my first experience in a Ford Bronco. We are on Route 9. There's this 50. This is uh, 50 and 67. So we're, now we're, oh, we're just going right. by the state park and we're heading into Boston Spa and then heading out to Utica. Road trip. It's a road trip. trip podcast. Road trip. And I have a horrible sense of direction. So this is good for me. I'm going to learn how to actually get home to Utica without having to go down through 87 and through Albany. This is the, Do you not go this way? I don't go this way. Oh, this is much faster. This is much this faster. This is a good 12 minutes faster. And that's why it's why we're here because I, I get to learn something. We're here to learn. We're always here to learn. We're always here to learn. And we got quite a bit of feedback yesterday about our brokeback mountain analysis. Brokeback mountain analysis, very popular, very popular. All right, so this is a road trip, our first ever road trip podcast. We're not sure how the sound is going to be. So I have a hardtop Ford Bronco. Not a cool old school one, but this is the new one. This is the 2022. And the roof comes off. I don't think you know that, Steve, because we... I don't. Our, our friendship started kind of into the fall where we, we, you know, didn't really have a chance to take the top off. And But Seiko and I love cruising around with the top off. That's a fun thing for us. But So there's going to be a little background noise. Steve has the microphone close to his face. I feel like I'm leaning over to speak into it. No, you got good. But got people would rather listen to you than me anyways. But So we're going to call this a broke back cleanup. And whoever, who knows where it's going to go, right? So, one of the main questions came from two female listeners. Okay. okay? And they, when, when you were talking about it, you said that they could have had a conversation. Ennis and Elma. Yeah. I know it's a terrible, difficult, complicated situation. Maybe there's... A way we can work things out maybe we can have closure maybe there's a way to get through this yeah and uh, a couple of our female listeners believed like this was the ultimate betrayal which in some ways agreed with what you said had it been a woman they would have been down the stairs in a lioness mode ready to attack right so my my debate was with you Steve is that initially you felt like it had nothing to do with it, with the fact that it was a man. It was just that the betrayal of infidelity. And I, I argued that if it was, if Ennis was at the bottom of the stairs making out with a woman, she would have been down those stairs in a heartbeat saying, who the hell are you? I'm his wife. Bop, 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 bop. And I think she didn't do that because she was so taken aback by the fact that it was a man. I don't think she had any indication. I think she was weird. She thought that it was weird that he went away all the time and, and probably, I don't think if, I don't think it was at that point in time she realized that he wasn't fishing, but, but she thought it was fishy. See what I did there with that yes, metaphor? Yes. Um, so I think maybe he thought he was going away with a woman, but he, I don't think at that point in time, I think the wide eyes, I kind of referenced that last time, that she had these wide eyes and I think that was more about the fact that it was a guy and she was like, what in the what? And I yeah. think she was very surprised by that. So the, so the people that wrote in said that they wanted to know, like, how, they, how could that be? How something can you have a conversation? You, how could that be something to work through? That is the ult, the, the words used were ultimate betrayal. 
Okay. Is, is that so, possible? So she means the ultimate betrayal had something to do with, with his orientation or just that there was a physical infidelity? I, I think it had to do We don't know because she didn't really... Yeah. I, I, I would be speculating. <laughs> I will assume a lot of people, this is a hot button issue. If there is a physical infidelity, it is peace out, run for the hills. And I respect that. If that's, if that's a line that can never be drawn or can never be stepped over, that's fine. I'm not here to say that you should or shouldn't be able to get over that. But what you can't do, is Alma, fictitious person, right. I am not teasing the person that wrote it, and I love that someone wrote it, and that's fantastic, but <clears throat> what you can't do is ignore it and then go on another four years of marriage. Without saying a word. So either when the time is right, say, hey, I know that you have feelings for, you're having some sort of relationship with Jack, Jack Twist, Oliver Jack. Twist. You're not gonna let. <laughs> I'm not gonna let it die. Because is it a coincidence that he was orphaned because his parents couldn't drive? I mean, that's his words. I'm not making fun of the fact they got in a car accident. Well, well I'm not gonna be PC about people that didn't exist. But so that he says that they get in a car accident and he's been orphaned essentially. Right. But the fact his name's Jack Twist. It's too close to Oliver Twist. I, I agree. I can't get I over agree. it. I agree. I <laughs> agree. Any of their names. And I had one more thought too, but I want to finish that off. Is like all I'm saying is have the conversation. You'd be surprised. How many relationships, you know, friends, family, parents, all people that we know that have gotten past that and have had wonderful relationships moving forward. I'm not saying that you have to treat infidelity lightly. I don't think one should, especially if those are the rules that are drawn up. But I just, I'm just saying you can talk about anything. And I will stand by that. And I, I agree with you there. I, I think she may have been saying more along the lines of the relationship was not salvageable at that point. If that was where things were going. And, and, and that's great. That's fine. That you, that's but you, fine you that have the conversation. You have the conversation. You've got to figure it out. And I have seen people move through that. I have seen people end their relationship because of that. And I just, I just don't think that, I don't think they were great marriages, either one of them. No. So, I mean, and there, but there, By a necessity. lot of that, a lot of that was financial strain. A lot of that was, I mean, there was a issue with the power dynamic in in Jack's relationship because of the money situation. Big time. And the one thing I wanted to mention, real quick, and we can comment on this on this, or we don't have to, but Anne Hathaway's character was interesting in the beginning when you know she was happen to have a romp in the back of the car, and I'm not just saying she was interesting when she was aggressive aggressive physically i'm just saying her character as as that movie went became even like more and more disinteresting and i couldn't yeah. read her yeah i thought she was dark i thought it came kind of a you know and dark. i look back at it more i mean i love that jack kind of wanted to fight a little bit more for the relationship and ennis ennis's character honestly as i look back on it i'm not i'm not taking back the fact that i think it was a wonderful film but his character really wasn't that interesting. Like I, there were moments where he had to put put out a great performance, like you know the whole alley scene when he was physically upset about not knowing if he's ever going to see Jack again. Like I thought that was wonderfully acted, but you can only do what you're given. I'm not I'm not teasing, you know, our second male lead posthumously. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying I don't think he was given a lot. Like he, his character evolved a little bit, but didn't take any chance. Like I I just Very I struggled little. with that. And yeah, 100%. And I think when he initially got divorced, it was when Jack Twist kind of showed up and saw the daughter for the first time. Mm -hmm. Because in Jack's mind, he's thinking, well, now 
we can be together. And he's like, no, man, I mean, that's that's still... There's, there's, that's and just real happen. quickly, because we got to get to other questions. The scene with the, the Turkey Day scene with Anne Hathaway's father... father. I, I, I just thought it was such a weird scene. Do you think he took that chance in speaking to him so firmly because he knew that he didn't really care if he got divorced? Do you feel like that was what the purpose of that scene was? What do you, What was the purpose of that scene to you? I, I, I think he had gotten to his breaking point and exactly like you said, like, you know what? I've held my tongue for years. What's the worst that can happen? She divorces me, and then I get to maybe take a shot at things with that. I've always been resentful at the father-in-law with how he's, you know, used his money sure. for me, against me. And you know what? It's a holiday. Yeah. I'm going to stand up for myself. Yeah. And I think I think that's that's kind of where it went. Yeah, fair. Um, the Another question, since we had been talking about the affair part of it, mm-hmm. was in general... Uh, a, male counterpart said marriage in general is a failed institution it fails more often than it succeeds why isn't it the norm to have multiple sexual partners to have multiple relationships they even have multiple families and went on to say that this is normal in the animal kingdom and other mammals do that and marriage on its own like everyone thinks it's the end all be all for what you should strive for in a relationship and where it should be going why is that when it has proven to ultimately be unsuccessful Oof. all right so the 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 question is it's not really a question it's kind of a commentary that yeah like a monogamous relationship let alone marriage doesn't work very often Correct. Correct. Like the, yeah. the expectations of for, being for us physically been, monogamous. Yes, you're supposed to be in love wow, with one person. This is such a hot button topic for me in my life. I could go on for days. I think there are people that might listen to this podcast that know me to some degree and know that I have kind of wrestled with this whole phenomena of monogamy versus polyamory and where you can have feelings for more than one person at a time and <clears throat> wow I don't even begin to know where to answer this so yes do, do are there other mammals that that yeah I mean all but like one or two species yes. are I don't want to say polyamorous but they they don't have just one partner throughout their That's, yeah. life course so it's not normal he was saying it, it is not normal it's not but it is and romanticized our, it is every, every movie, sitcom, drama is predicated upon that being the goal. Disney, whatever you want to say. Yeah, there's never been a happy happy under, ever ending with, you know, four people involved in a relationship. Right. Well, I... Oh, where do I even begin to go with this? Because I have so much to add to that, I just don't know how personal I want to get. So, but see, with me, I don't think that necessarily intimacy with someone is having a relationship with them. If, you, if, if you're if you having multiple partners, it doesn't always have to be love. It doesn't have to always be love. It, I mean, can it just be 
a physical attraction? Can it just be about so like a friends with benefits? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, well, it doesn't always. Is have that to, doable? Yes, it is doable. It doesn't always have to be. However, loved. one or both of the people quite often end up having feelings, and that's why friends with benefits doesn't really work out very well. But that's kind of what they have. I mean, there there is a romantic side, but I gotta say, as much as that was a love story, when they're not willing to see it through and see each other more often You're or limited. let other people know, yeah. you know, you lose, it loses credibility for me and truly being a love story. And I know that maybe you don't want to hear that because I think that was a huge part of why you enjoy that film so much is Correct. that it is a love story. You know when it was a love story? It was a love story on the mountain. On the mountain. And if they took a shot when they came back. Now, where they live, we talked about this too. In that locale, there's no chance at that being, you know, something that people would look at and accept. Um, it is a very traditional, I don't even know if it's on the religious side, but it was. it's a very kind of a traditional setting. It was meant to be whatever it was, Wyoming or what is it? Montana, Wyoming, But Texas, filmed. Yeah. I just learned it was filmed in, in the Canadian in Rockies Canada. in Alberta, yeah. Yeah. which I now want to move to Alberta because that was truly was so beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. So I am going to be the guy that says he, he rewatches Brokeback Mountain the because scenery. of scenery. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... Marriage. I just don't think that you can you can really blanket say, well, hey, marriages don't work because monogamy doesn't work. Mono monogamy can work, but it takes a tremendous commitment. And, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but monogamy typically is easier when you don't attract other people. I, I, I'm going well, to have to say, there's going to be a lot of times on this podcast where I just say it the way it is or the way I think it is. But that's and how you control. Everyone can really feel free to disagree with that, but it is it is very difficult. It's out of your control. The though. problem is there are a lot of authors, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of people that do therapy, counselors, therapists, psychologists that talk about this with that I, I am very intrigued by. So I'll just say that. And a lot of people think there's a balance between feeling security in love and feeling excitement in love. Absolutely. And if you have all that security of someone that you've been with a long time, you, you may not be as physically attracted to them anymore. It's comfortable yeah. and you're attracted to the security part. But the excitement part kind of wears off after a year or two years. And it being does. physical with that person, that wears off at least to a degree. And if anyone refutes that and they think that their relationship is just as physically exciting as it was the first week that they were seeing each other, the first month that they're seeing each other, that's just not true. No, it isn't. You, you can maintain it to where it's close to where it was, but that wears off. And I think a lot of people that stray, they've lost that excitement or they've lost that feeling where they think that someone new might find them attractive and that's exciting to them. Now, I'm not giving it a pass. Whatever rules are that you set up in your relationship, you should follow. Um, but a lot of people stink at following those rules. I, I, I have stunk in the past and people have not been great in relationship with me with that. And it's just part of life. So you've got to, you've got to figure out how to handle that. And how you handle that is predicated greatly by how strong you feel about the person who may have strayed or said something that it doesn't, doesn't have to be physical intimacy or physical infidelity. It can be anything, any hurt that is dished out. You've got to figure out how to handle that. That disappointment is going to happen. It's just going to happen. But back to monogamy. Can monogamy work? Yep. Takes a lot of work. But he's saying more often than not, the it, it statistics doesn't show it does not yeah, work. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are very simple. It is very easy to look this up. Of men 
85% stray at some point in time, but women, it used to be thought of as like 50%. It's like between 78 and 85%, it's almost the same. And that number probably has changed because self-reporting people yeah. are, are more prone to be able to self-report that, not feel the shame. Uh, social media, uh, dating apps, um, women being in the workforce significantly more than when they first took those polls, probably in the 50s or 60s, like that has changed. And that's where people typically find someone else that they are interested in or interested in them. It's at the workplace or being out in society instead of just being at home. I mean, there's studies upon studies on why it's changed. You know, I think the self-reporting might be the big thing. So, I mean, to this person, yeah, I mean, it's right, but that's not a fiery take. I mean, that's like saying Americans don't like soccer because of the flopping or because of ties. We all know that. And I'm not dissing this person, but yes, people aren't typically super great at being monogamous. But I think also you're saying with the monogamy piece is it's more not necessarily love, it's having a physical attraction towards another person. Well, that's the initial part. That's the initial part that draws you out of it. Right, right. right. You don't necessarily fall in love with that person. Yeah. It's just, hey, we've been doing this for 10, 20 years. I know what's there, you know what's there. Yeah, but they all get beaten up by the humdrum of life. The bills, the rent, the, you know, we're, that's we're what, I feel like that's what they're getting beaten up on the most. Like, Jack can't stand the fact that he works for his father-in-law and, and <laughs> doesn't like that money piece he feels like there's, I mean, although it's comfortable for him that there is a power dynam dynamic that he is failing at miserably, and that feels like it's as emasculating as any sort of orientation in the film, you know what I mean? And can this truck be going any slower? Is that possible? Well, you know, it's are we going to get there in the third truck. period for the Utica Comets game? I'm not not positive, but I'm being patient. There's no road rage here, Steve. No, no. Um, and the other question, which was a, a, a fiery take, nice. was a, uh, a did they use the word fiery take? No. Are they, they using our lingo? The, the one guy did use. Ah, a fiery I love it. Take. I love yes. it. I love it. One guy did like the fiery take. Yeah. Um, if the roles had been reverse. Oh yeah, okay. Okay. And it were the men catching the just, women. Right. In a relationship if it were Ennis at the top of he the He came stairs, to the top of the stairs and he and sees he Michelle that. Williams, he sees Alma. God, that name is terrible. I know. Then you went and named your daughter that. That's sad. I know. Okay, so Ennis Dude, comes the to the stairs yes. and he sees Michelle Williams making out hardcore with another woman. Is he is he devastated or is he mildly intrigued or excited? So you mean like a physical reaction? Like Cor he's like, ow! It, 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 yes, is honey's the with honey. Do like the that. men have a different reaction than the women? That's I think it comes down to this. So I have a, a kind of a fun theory on same-sex attraction to the opposite sex. I think that men. I think it's what I call the ninety-ten rule, and um, it's it's. It's probably stupid, but I think 90% of men, of 90% of straight men, I should differentiate, find women being, you know, physically interested in another woman, they find that to be attractive. Right. And only about 10% of women find guys with guys attractive. So what I mean, only 10% of straight women think that it's sexy or quote-unquote hot to see men, you know, being physically intimate with other men. So clearly, Michelle Williams does her character does not fall into the ten yeah, percent. Um, but so I think this. I think that if Ennis saw that happening at the bottom of the stairs with with Alma and another woman, 
if he feared the, the loss of the resource of their relationship, of time, of love from her, if she, if he saw Michelle Williams being intimate with someone and it was just purely, purely physical, I don't know. I think there'd been a far greater chance for him to just be intrigued by it. But if he, if he could see in that moment that she was truly interested emotionally in, in this other woman, then I think he'd be devastated. I think it'd be a very similar reaction to how she reacted to him with Jack. So I think that's yeah, I that's kind of an easy one to answer. I, f I feel like, but maybe I'm not getting the question right. But I, I feel no, like if it was just a physical reverse. thing, yeah. then I think he would have found a way to, to maybe be attracted to that. But again, I'm not. He's not a purely straight guy. Like he, he, he falls somewhere on that spectrum between straight and not straight. So um, I don't know how he would have answered. How he would have reacted to that? But if he felt like Alma was emotionally into someone else, I think you would have been devastated. Okay. Um, so this next question. And provided that Ennis also wasn't attracted to Jack. So if Jack was just, or I'm sorry, if Ennis was just a straight guy and saw that oh, happening. Oh, right. Because right. that's a whole other part. Like if he was just a straight guy yeah, and yeah, he saw his yes. wife making out with another woman and thought that they were just physical, maybe he would think that that was sexy. But if he thought that she was truly emotionally engaged with this woman, then I think he would be upset, devastated, mad, whatever. Yeah, I think it was if the guys were straight guys. Got it. Got it. Saw it yeah. yeah. It's a good question. It's a fun question. So Sport, that, sporty question. So, the next kind of is a two-part. Have you ever seen the movie, uh, the or the series on Showtime, The Affair? No. Okay. The, the Affair is about um, two different people. Both okay. were married. Mm -hmm. Okay, they have an affair, and they end up uh, breaking up their marriages and being together. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as far as, you know, Brokeback Mountain, the men have an affair. They don't end up being together. And, you know, ending is what it, the ending is what it is. Okay. What is, in your opinion, the answer to the situation? Okay. Starting with, I'll, I'll use the first premise because you haven't seen the show but it's two married couples mm -hmm. okay yep the the man from one and the women from the other they get together have an affair and both marriages dissolve because they want to be together they hurt their significant others their kids whatever but because they love each other and they want to put their happiness first they end up together Brokeback Mountain with the guys having the physical affair never breaking up with their wives you know a hundred percent they don't go the extra mile to be together. In your opinion, what is the answer in those situations? Are you supposed to follow your heart and be with who you want to be with? If you're not, are you supposed to stay in the marriage for the sake of the kids, for trying to work it out with your wife, with your families? You're blowing up two different families. I'm just curious what the answer is in those situations because I don't think there really is a, a good one yeah so one of my favorite authors is um is esther perel and she writes she writes a couple different great books three or four different books but my favorite one is called a state of affairs so it just talks it talks about how infidelity is looked at not necessarily, well, I guess culturally as well, but how it's looked at in like, you know, first world countries and how it's perceived and, um, and it kind of gives, not a devil's advocate, because I don't want to 
essentially what she says in the book is there have been plenty of infidelity situations where someone winds up with the person they have an affair with and that ends up being like a 30, 40 year old love story that goes famously right. and just that first relationship just because you met someone first and you committed to someone first doesn't mean that that was the love of your life it's not always, it doesn't yeah. mean that so what I'll just say is this is that I'll say this while I'm doing a podcast it's hard to concentrate on whether or not I should pass this truck and well there's two of them I don't right know. so I, I I guess what I'm saying is you really this, want to pass is the truck, though. It, it, it it's so dependent on the situation if the previous relationship your first relationship yeah. whether it be a marriage or just a boyfriend girlfriend boyfriend boyfriend girlfriend girlfriend whatever relationship you have if that relationship is excellent other than the fact that you found someone else that you were intrigued by then what are you doing like what is the point of that I mean to steal a line from Bono like you can't chase every breaking wave like you can't you can't do that that's not how life should work right right you can't be just intrigued and be like oh that guy's cute or that woman's attractive I would like to make out with her I would like to do this I would like to you can't just do that that's yeah, dumb yeah, yeah. if you are struggling in your relationship it is a tale as old as time to be attracted to someone outside your relationship unfortunately it's also a tale as old as time that some people act on it and don't talk about it right, right. so there is no right answer to that like how should you handle that if you find someone that you are attracted to and your initial relationship isn't going well you should try to make the decision on what you're going to do whether it just be hey I know we're in a monogamous relationship I know that we're married or I know we're boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever the case may be I need to let you know I met someone I'm interested in them between the years I might be physically attracted to them I thought it I thought it important to be honest with you about that that conversation happens that situation happens almost in every relationship ever yeah. to steal a line from the great band semi-sonic semi closing time oh every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end which is one of the most poignant lyrics all of all time and it's just not a great song it's in fact those are the, it's the same chord progression it smells like teen spirit if you listen to it there's not a lot of originality in that song but that line is great how often do people have that conversation out of a hundred relationships that end and there's some overlap in them? Six percent of them. Would you say that? I, I would say probably less, but yeah. So six percent is not a high number. I, I mean, it's just people don't like having uncomfortable conversations. They don't. It's just, you know. And they, they don't. They'd and rather climb a tree and tell a lie than stay on the yeah, and that's how, that is how, so again, in a situation where do as I say, not as I do, because in my entire life, I think I've probably had that conversation one time. Have I started other things before other things were finished? Yep. Am I proud of it? Nope. Do I know that other people do it? Yep. Does it make it better? Nope. It's just, in life, it's really simple. It's like, you know other people do this wrong, but you have got to do it right, and I, I largely have not. And I have no problem saying that for the seven listeners that listen, for the 250 listeners that listen, for the, I don't know how many people listen to the podcast, but I'm happy to tell the truth and say that because the podcast has no value if you don't speak from the heart and speak from experience. If I just say, oh, this is how people should act. Well, great. Well, that's, that's not a fiery take. Either. That's not a fiery take. That's people from America not liking draws and soccer. Now, when there's kids involved, 
how yeah. much of a difference does that make? A, a big I difference. Mean, it does, right? So yeah. here's the line that people always say, and this is good stuff. No one talks about it. As far as I know, no one talks about this. And I think there's a little originality going on right now. Look out. This is in serious danger of becoming a passable podcast. Okay? Everyone always says, well, kids are resilient. Okay. I agree with that. Which, what, you know, what does the word resilient mean? We all know what it means. I'm not suggesting that people don't. But what they're saying is, like, the kids will figure it out. They they'll won't, get, they'll they, get won't yeah. they won't be hurt by mom and dad divorcing or breaking up or separating. Yeah. Yeah, they will. They will. And if you don't communicate really well with them, it will be a traumatic experience that will shape how they have their relationships throughout the rest of their lives. Is that me saying don't get divorced and stick it out? Absolutely not. It's not me saying that at all. But it's saying that they are resilient and they can come back from it and they can have healthy love lives and relationships that are platonic or romantic or just with their own families. Can they have positive relationships moving forward? Yes, only if you communicate about it. And hey. like with Seiko, I talk to him about relationships all the time. My relationship with his mother, pre, pre-marriage, during our marriage, at the downfall of our marriage, after the marriage. Like the fact that I talk about this on the podcast, it was like, Jesus, you don't have any privacy. Well, I don't really want to. I don't care to. I'm happy to, if someone could figure it out a little bit better than I did because I was honest about it by having a podcast that's listened to by somewhere between seven and 700 people. Yeah, I'm happy to chat about it. You know? Do you, did you think that he had a grasp or a good understanding when you did sit down and try to explain to him what was happening, why it was happening, and the changes that were going to be coming. I I talked to him as much as I felt like I could talk to him at each, you know, kind of stage of the situation. Like right. he was he was five when we divorced. And I mean how much can you really yeah, understand yeah. at that point? Now granted Francisco Seiko is far advanced, I believe, emotionally, you know, from the average kid who's just turned 12. And he was the same way at five because I always talk to him about stuff. And, you know, one of the first things I ever said is, hey, this relationship doesn't work if you don't feel like you can talk to me about anything, about something that happens in my life, your life, our lives together. Um, you know, if something happens at school, if something happens wherever, if you don't like how a coach is dealing with you, if you don't like it. You know, I have that conversation with him routinely, almost daily. And I, and I just say, we have this amazing relationship, but it isn't worth a damn if you don't tell me everything and if I don't tell you everything. Hey. And I, when I tell you, Steve, I talk about everything. I talk about every relationship that I have. My relationship with my parents, my relationship with my brothers, my relationship with people that I see on a romantic note. I mean, we talk about that tirelessly. Oh, and I know you do. I think he, I think he enjoys it. Not necessarily the entertainment value, but he enjoys the fact that I... I trust our relationship enough to talk to him about it. And do you think that you kind of do that and, and focus on communication and somewhat go the extra mile with him? Because when you were growing up, you know, like our generation, our parents, our fathers, you know, didn't necessarily communicate like an open book no. as much now. They were a little more, you know, they kind of had their guard up. They were a little more defensive. They didn't want to show as much emotion or feeling. Do you think right. that's kind of why you've gone the other way yeah i just want i just love my kid and and this sounds like an after school hallmark special on lifetime but i just want him to have every single advantage to be a successful adult and that doesn't mean to make a lot of money that doesn't mean to have you know this marriage or have a great monogamous relationship or well, you put him this. to work he i works. just yeah i just try to 
let him know that you can handle pretty much anything through communication. And I truly believe that. So, and yeah, my parents weren't probably masterminds at communicating, but they had, you know, and I'm, Steve, I don't know if you know this, but I'm literally writing a book about how my life has gone through the first half of it. And a huge part of that, there were many pages written about my parents and how they communicated and how their parents communicated with them. And I listened to how those communications went and how those experiences went. And they were horrifying. That's too strong a word. They did not communicate at all. They struggled. They both struggled. Yeah. both of my parents, both of their sets of parents divorced and they there was no talking about it. it when I tell you there was no yeah. talking about it, it's like if you talked about it, you were almost punished. You were I mean it was not something they would talk about. And I want to be the exact opposite. You know, like I will tease Seiko about his mom and say, you know, but there are times like I go out of my way when my Tay and I get along or like great example was Halloween. I told you this, Steve, because I care about you and we're good friends. I went over there for Halloween. Seiko went and hung out with his friends and I hung out with Matt and my Tay. Yes. And, and Matt had one of his friends over, a golf buddy of his from college. And we had such a great time. And, and more often than not, we do have a great time. When you bring Matt into the Matt into the fold, Matt is Seiko's, you know, stepfather. You know, Maite remarried, and that's you know her husband, Matt, and he's great. I mean, I really like him. I mean, he's complete with with some flaws here and there, but we all are, and every one of his flaws I can identify with, and I and I think that they're great, and and you can talk about in in, in a very fun, sporty way. But when we all got together, it was legit fun. Like I would go over there and hang. And not just because Seiko's there and it's Halloween, you know? Like, it was a really cool hangout and we had a great time. And, and I think you can always get to that. And I try to speak about Maite with, with Seiko very positively. And as far as I know, I think she does with me. And inevitably, you know, there'll be times where we're frustrated with each other where maybe not everything that's uttered is, is super positive, but that's part of life too. But, you know, I really care for Matt. I root for them to be happy because a happy you know, Maite, a happy Francisco's mom, is, is typically a happy me. Like, I don't catch a whole bunch of slack from Maite when, when that family unit is getting along well. I think a lot of divorced people would say, oh, yep, I know how that goes, you know. But the question comes back to, you like, does it change if there are kids? Yeah, it does. You should stick it out. You should try your hardest to stick it out. If you feel like it's a safe environment, if you feel like there is a way back to having a fun, um, exciting relationship where you're really getting something out of it. I don't believe in staying, like, there's a song written by Blink-182 called Stay Together for the Kids, and it and it tells you how it's not cool to stay together for kids if you guys are fighting tooth and nail. Clearly, if you can't get along and there's any physicality as far as, you know, altercations go, or if you really feel like you've lost that loving feeling because of an infidelity, or because someone doesn't check in on you, doesn't make you coffee in the morning, like, just be careful of those little things, like because they don't make coffee for you anymore, or because they don't do this, or they don't do that. That's not a good reason. You can just sit there and say, hey, the little things that you used to do, you don't do those anymore. Can we try to get back to that? Uh, you know, I think there's gotta be ample reason to get out of a relationship that is, you know, something as serious as a marriage. But I, I don't feel like, to death do his part, I think is a antiquated, you know, I, I don't think that's that's a thing anymore. I don't think it really ever was. I think people did divorce, but they're far more likely to now. That's pretty safe to say. So with with, with in, infidelity, yeah, 
even you know if, if you do choose to work through it if you do choose to to want to go to therapy and try to work through it what percentage do you think come out on the other side that if they are committed and willing to want to work through it how many do you think succeed and actually do out of a hundred percent of couples that have suffered some sort of infidelity, yeah. what percentage of them that go to therapy that figure try, it out? That, that, that want to work through it, actually make it through it. Well, if there's a desire there and there's still yeah. love there, there's always going to be hurt. There's going to be hurt when there are a lot of things that can cause a legitimate amount of hurt. Do I think anything compares with physical infidelity? Probably not. Um, if you someone. show the willingness to go to therapy and go in there objectively and really trying to work it out, I think you've got a more than a 50-50 chance. I would probably say that. I would wager to say that. And I've been around enough to have friends, family members, you know, whatever, go through that. And it's, a lot of it is how strong was your relationship before whatever breach it was. I mean, we're so caught up in the infidelity piece because of the movies that we're watching, but I think that you know, another one is Bridges of Madison County. I'm really teetering on assigning that. I haven't seen it. Because it is such so a great film. I haven't seen it. And there's more of a love story there. And and there is a love story in Brokeback Mountain, but no one's really willing to roll the dice. And I don't love that part of it. That's the part that was If we're, if we're retching in the alley, Steve, if we're retching in pain, physical yeah. pain, that you might not see this person again. Yeah. And that is purely the emotional bit. It is not the physical part, right? right. We agree with that? Absolutely. And he goes and marries Alma... Two months later or a year later, I can't tell the time. What time passes? I think you're just more concerned her name was Alma than. <sighs> I'm still. I'm never gonna get over that. Alma, Alma and Jack are just. Doomed. You know, and who do I get mad at? The writer of the book or the people that write the screenplay? You can change it. You can have that liberty to change their names. And I think it's funny because the person who wrote the book has been getting like sequel ideas for 20 years. Yeah. They they, they always want another, and they're like, no, not happening. Yeah, um, I mean, well, if it was like the Star Wars author, you could think of 17 prequels and this and that, and maybe there would be one about Jack's parents, how they're bad drivers, if they took a driver's ed class, maybe there would be a different situation. The uh, the other request we got was for The Notebook. Oh, boy. And I, I, I've, I've never seen The Notebook. Have you seen the notebook? Well, here's the thing: is we, we've got to we've got to watch very carefully that we don't get stereotyped as being people that review only <laughs> romance films, because the notebook is written by Nicholas Sparks, oh, and okay. I will say this: so in let's call it 1995, and this is a true story. I hope people don't make fun of me for this, but again, if I'm going to talk about my past relationships and my failures and the one or two successes I've had, um. Wow, this looks like birds over here, like we're, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, this we're in scary. Amsterdam. We're in Amsterdam. It is the sun is setting, and there are a bunch of gigantic birds flying around by the Key Bank, where you make that weird turn as you're in downtown. Um, there is a downtown Amsterdam. Amsterdam? There is. Okay. This used to be a really cool. I town. know it did. I, I read about it. Yeah. And um, there are so many birds, and they look like they're going to crash right into my car. I'm a little. I'm a little scared. Oh my god! Does it look a little bit freaky? That Again, does look not, like... a, not a visual podcast. Jeez. Sorry, when we have this much money as Joe Rogan, we can make a video. Oh, of that is scary. Freaky. I'm scared. Um, but the Notebook. I tried to read this book. I don't know if Nicholas Sparks was really well known in 1995, but this book came out, and I was always on the road for college golf. I was played at Old Dominion University, and we took a van everywhere, except that we flew to one tournament in the fall, and we flew to one in the spring, which is always really fun because we felt like high rollers when we were. You know when we were flying and not driving but thanks you cost me that light 
shockingly, a New Jersey plate. Well, at least the tra trailer's um, in front of us. Correct. So, anyway, so I started reading this book. I went to an actual real-life bookstore in 1995. I was a junior or so in college, and I was reading this on a van trip. I think we were driving to Campbell or Duke's tournament or something like that. So I started reading this, and I got to the bit where they were in a rowboat, and they got into this one little, you know passage or pond area when there was all these white swans and I was like you know what I can't do it anymore <laughs> Steve I put that, that book it. up and I said I can't do it I don't I don't need it to be so in your face romantic and you know Nicholas Sparks you know maybe maybe you wrote better books after that and I'm not denying you know the so um, this wasn't required reading or anything no I wrote it own. on my I read it on my own well, I tried to read, tried it, on to read it on my own, and I put it up on the part where there's the swans and the. I just like it's too much. It's too much. It's too much. Now, looking back, is it Rachel McAdams in that? Yes, correct. And Ryan Gosling, Gosling. who yep. I find both to be Excellent. wildly talented, and they're both very attractive. attractive. Yeah. So would I would I watch that? I I, I think I've seen the movie. I have not. Yep. Um, it is good. I think you would like it. You have a very sensitive part to you, Steve. I do, very sensitive. And I think that you would have an appreciation for that 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 movie. I think we should have a listener vote-off on Bridges of Madison County versus The Notebook for our next movie. That's what we got to put up. That's and we've been getting some legitimate comments, some yes. legitimate you know, commentary and contributors that people that you know, send notes in. What? Where are they writing this? Because I can't ever find it. I don't really go online to see who listens or how many people I listen. Will, but I where, where is it? Where it is, is on Anchor. Our, Anchor, which is Anchor, a where we platform where you can find who's listening and who has what comments. Is that where, right? Where are? Yeah, where they can comment on Spotify. We get our Spotify comments All from right. Anchor. So even if it's three to one or seventeen to fourteen, send in a little note. Say the next movie should definitely be. And we'll take write-in votes. We'll make this very democratic. Like when you vote for president, you can do a write-in vote. You're like, oh, I can't stand this guy and that guy. Oh, I, I, that's one of my least favorite things, when politically people say, oh, I'm just voting for the lesser of two evils. Yeah, we all know both presidential candidates usually both suck. Well, yeah. That's they, the other fiery take. That's another fiery take that Wes would be so... By the way, we're going to see Wes tonight. We are. He's the one who, who got us involved with the old uh, Utica comments tonight. But... When people say, ah, oh, they're both bad candidates. I don't I don't really want to vote for either, but I'm gonna vote for the lesser of two evils. Like, come on. Everyone knows that. You know? If you're really pumped about Biden, if you're really pumped about Trump, I don't want to get too political here, but they both have glaring weaknesses. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. unfortunately. Maybe we should run. I, I think I think we could we couldn't do any worse. Maybe we'll get a write in vote. If I really have one write in vote. Yeah. For president? Well, you could really screw up the country. Could I write us in? Could yeah. I just send yeah, it in? I think, I think you could just write. I've never done that. I always vote, reluctantly. But I do vote. Now we're getting some some back background noise. Hopefully you can still hear us. But, yeah, no, we're um, good. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we can write in. But I want to write in myself. No. Like for citizen, That's there was always a citizen of the month vote at LV Denti Elementary School. And people voted for themselves all the time. I never once voted for myself. What 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 did the 
citizen of the month mean? You just a good person. You know, it's mostly kind of a popularity contest. But as you got up in grade level, at grade, you know, third grade, which Canadians always say grade three. Three. They don't say third grade, they say grade three. Um, Like in third grade, it's just strictly a popularity contest. Who was the cool kid? And then by like fourth or fifth or sixth grade, you truly voted like, you know, like if you got good grades and, you know, you didn't piss off the teacher. You know, and maybe you were a little bit of a jock and maybe you got good grades or something they voted for you. But I would never vote for myself. So I'm like, I am at a big disadvantage because Larry Grotch will vote for himself. <laughs> Susie Klopotic will vote for herself. Carrie Potts will vote for herself. These are real people, by the way. I'm sure they are. And there's nothing wrong with that because I'm not, I'm not teasing any of those people because I'm sure Joe Biden voted for himself and I'm sure Donald Trump voted for himself. I'm sure Barack Obama voted for himself. But I could never get myself to do that. I thought there was something morally wrong with voting for yourself, even if you thought you were the best candidate. Did Is that you, weird? Did you get a vote though? Oh yeah, I won. Yeah. I won all. The, I would always. I would always win in September. If you won Citizen of the Month in September, you were probably going to win Citizen of the Year come May or June, whatever the last month of the year was. And uh, just doing a, a mild segue and, and transition into Syracuse basketball. Sure. There, uh, there has been quite a bit of love for the idea of Steve Nash coming to Syracuse. Being the replacement for Jimmy B? That has started to, to pick up a little steam. A little traction, if they, is, they will? Looking okay. for it on the message board, Syracuse.com. Brent Axe, the writer who covers Syracuse. He mentioned it? No, I think it's being tweeted at him with the link to our podcast. Oh, to get him to start, you know, pushing it and on board that Steve Nash should replace Jim Behan. So, some of our comments, some of our fiery takes have now become small fires? I believe it is being tweeted at Brent X, trying to get him on board with Steve Nash, Jim Beheim. This needs to happen. Why isn't this being talked about? And Brent, Brent X controls the narrative for all Syracuse athletics. Oh, wow. If he starts driving it home... Wow. This they, is great. They think it could gain traction, and there's a lot of excitement about the possibility, and people kind of wanted to know, and even myself, like, where exactly did it come from? Did it come solely from when he was dismissed from Brooklyn? Did it come from when you were looking through his numbers and realizing what a great player he was, what a tough situation in Brooklyn he was, in the necessity with Syracuse basketball on the decline, needing new blood. Where did two and two come together for Steve Nash? For Syracuse? me, in my mind? Yes. Well, he became available, and he became That's available fine. right when we kind of met. Yeah. And I thought, you know, then what, what drove that was that stupid piece from Barstool Sports. Sorry, I don't mean to say stupid that short-sighted piece from Barstool Sports. I'll say that. I think I, I feel comfortable saying that. Like, I never want to discredit anyone when there gets to be a bunch of foul language and but, someone thinking they have a fiery take. You know, when Syracuse starts the season poorly, everyone's going to say, oh, uh, maybe we should, maybe he shouldn't be the coach anymore. That's not a, that's not an impressive take, right? But you, you had said Steve Nash I a said month Steve before Na- the, the Barstool article came out. Right. But at that point in time, I didn't love the experiment of 
all of his kids playing on the team. And that doesn't yeah. mean I don't respect him. Right. I would want to do the same thing. Are you kidding course, me? If course. I coached a great program, if it was golf or baseball, you don't think I would want Seiko on it? But I can tell you this. If I didn't feel like Seiko belongs, I would not even recruit. I wouldn't even talk to him about it. Yeah. You would not get But it's not as if the Bayheim brothers didn't belong, but they needed to be complementary pieces. They weren't going to... If you, if you think those two were meant to be stars on a program that has lived, not lived in the top 25, but has not been uncommon for them to be. If you, if Jimmy really thought that a team anchored by Buddy, Buddy, is it Jimmy, right? Was it Jim? Yeah, Buddy and Jimmy. And Joe Girard from Glens Falls, if he really thinks that those were the three key pieces to, and I'm not even trying to be funny. No, I'm not I trying know. to be a dick because like I really have tremendous respect for the entertainment that's provided in a cold weather tundra wasteland of central New York from ages 10 through 48 for me. I have such respect for him. But if in the tail end of your, if you're just trying to stuff them in there at the tail end of your tenure, I guess I can kind of understand that. But if you really thought that that was gonna be a successful venture in the ACC and beyond into the NCAA tournament, I don't know what to tell you. Well, yeah. That's wrong, it's wrong. But it doesn't make him, like in that article, doesn't make him an a-hole. I'm not gonna use the F word in the article. I'm not going to say he's driving them to the bottom of the ocean. Well, it was an unsuccessful piece of guesswork. Is that fair? Very fair. And but when you have a when you have a team that finishes under 500 for the first time in 30 years, I think it's safe to say that was an unsuccessful guess. But you know, in recruiting, that's going to happen. I mean, especially in basketball, when you're only taking two, maybe three kids a class, you miss on one of them. That that throws you for a loop. Yeah, but I mean, it's a team that's traditionally recruited now, back in the late 70s, 80s to early 90s, recruited at a top 10 level. Yes. Yep. And has recruited from, other than Carmelo Anthony, because that was in the new millennium, from 2000 to 2022 at a 30 to 50 level. And that's true. That's yes. not me teasing them. I love Jim Beheim. I love that he's a very good golfer. I love that he's wildly competitive. I love that he's whiny. I love that he tries to get the best out of the kids. I love that there's a lot of Buddy Evans in him. I love that he knows who Buddy Evans is. If I say this and he ever listened to it, I think if he were listening to me say this, he would say I'm being fair. I would agree. And he's got a beautiful wife too. I give him that. Julie's great, but she's also intelligent. She's sticks by him. They've been through a lot of tough stuff over the last few years and they're great people. I don't think there's anyone who doesn't think that they're have been wonderful for the city of Syracuse. So, so easing him out. Where did this where did this come in? Like it's time. I mean yeah. it's time. Jim thinks it's time. But I will I will be I am willing to say in front of all of three people that Jim would agree with this and he could never talk to his people about this because these people have given him decades now. Jerry McNamara, you know, um, who else? Who else is on that bench of his players? I mean, there are a bunch of them. Mike Hopkins. Well, the Hopkins moves have been, but yeah, McNamara's been there. I don't know who the others are. We should know that. If we're going to yeah. talk about it, we should know that. But the people on his bench have been very faithful to him. Have they worked hard? Yeah. Do I think they're a great head coach of top-end Division One programs? No. No. I don't no, know no. that GMAC is the next move there. I agree. Would GMAC be mortified to hear someone say that? No, because I'm sure he hears the mumbling. But do you really think... Syracuse will be on the same track that the tail end of Jim Beheim's tenure 
where the trajectory they're on now, which is a very flat trajectory that lives between being ranked between 30th and literally 100 in the country. I don't think him taking the reins would bring them back to that. He's Jerry has got to be honest about him being one of the last recruiting classes where there was all kinds of speculation and excitement about what that program could do. It was him and Carmelo Anthony were around the same time, and people were, they knew if they went to the Dome, they could score 100 points every night, and they could beat anyone in the country on any given night. That has oh, not happened in 20 years. And if he's being honest, and if he's not just about what's next for me, how am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to get to be from a guy who makes 80 grand a year to a guy that makes $2 million a year? That is his golden ticket. And I don't think that he's at that level. How do I know that? Am I at the practices? No. And is it short-sighted for me to make that comment in front of three people? Is it? Yeah, maybe it is. But he's part of the recruiting process. Big time. Because I don't think Jimmy travels as much as he used to. I don't think the phone calls are necessarily coming from him or the text messages or the emails. Some of them are. Not all of them are. But I think Hopkins was a huge part of getting really good guys in the early 2000s. Now, GMAC knows what the excitement factor was back in the day, and he knows what it is not now. Okay? And he can't honestly say that he's recruited the socks off and that Every class that comes in is being compared to what Kentucky or Kansas or Duke or North Carolina is doing. It's not even close. It's not in the ballpark. It's in the ballpark of a team that's ranked between 30th and 100. So let me ask you this then. I think you've got to go outside. What I'm trying to say is way too long of an answer. I apologize for that. You've got to go outside that current administration. You've got to find someone. And that's where I went with Steve Nash. Is he too big of a name? No. He had a very short tenure with the Brooklyn Nets, and I think he was in a tough spot. I think he had guys that are, and this is something that people don't talk about. If It is very difficult for, I would guess, people that are of any minority, and there are a lot of, there are a lot of black people that are very impressive athletes, a lot of great basketball players, and I think that if you were gonna hire someone who had little to no coaching experience and certainly had very little or no coaching experience at the NBA level if you were going to bring in someone who didn't have any experience it is very difficult for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to see even if it's someone they had respect for as a player to see someone brought in who hasn't gone through the fire of coaching hasn't gone through the procedure hasn't gone through the ropes of coaching in college or high school or even Division Three college, they brought in someone who was white. So no me, one's talking about that because they can't talk about that. Stephen A would talk about it, he probably has, and that is probably why Kyrie and Kevin Durant weren't fans of him being there and didn't want him there. No one wants to talk about it, I'll talk about it. Let me, let me ask you this then. Is okay. it fair? Yeah, it's fair. I'm okay with that. If Them being upset about that. It doesn't mean I don't like Steve Nash, and it doesn't mean that I don't think Steve Nash could be an excellent NBA or high-end Division One college go- go- I'm sorry, basketball coach. I think he should be, and he can be. If Mike Hopkins had stayed, would you have want, wanted him to replace Bayheim um, if he were to leave now? 
or would you still be pushing for Steve Nash? I think he was a huge part of Carmel Anthony being there. I think he was a little bit early for GMAC because I think GMAC was a year or two earlier than Carmelo Anthony. You have to be able to recruit Steve, period. That's you coach college sports. College sports recruiting is 90% of your program. Your and if you cannot bring them in, and Mince is great, but he was ranked barely in the top 50. Carmelo Anthony was number one or number two or number three in the country. And although I don't believe Carmelo Anthony is a top 50 player in the NBA of all time, he certainly is a top 50 college basketball player of all time. He was a guy who could score from a neutral offensive defensive position. When someone gets the ball, the person D's up on him, and no one's at an advantageous situation. He could score better than 99% of people that have ever touched a basketball at the high-end Division I basketball. Yeah, in one year. In one year. So, Mike Hopkins, if he stayed on. Yeah. Would you have wanted him to replace Bayheim still, or would if, still if I'm right in in the conjecture that he brought Carmelo Anthony in and he had yeah. the ability to recruit blue chip five star recruits, yes, yes, and, and he hasn't necessarily done that at Washington. At Washington, I don't know. And if we were going to talk about that. this, I would have researched it more. And Washington is not currently ranked in the top twenty-five, but I believe they've had at least as much success as Syracuse has had. And going into that job. Washington was not super successful from the basketball standpoint. I think he's done a decent job, not a great job. Um, one other little segue transition. The World Cup, the next game, I believe, is it tomorrow? No, they had both the semifinal games. So you had both. France won today 2-0. Why did they have to say nil? That's, Can't we just say zero? Yeah, there's nothing like saying pitch instead of field. Crisps instead of chips. Chips. Yeah, Ad, Ad, advertisement. Advertisement instead yeah. of advertisement. That yeah. gets more of a Josh thing, a nerdy, dorky Josh thing. Um, yeah. So, so you're gonna have France and um, Argentina in the final, which you could argue, although the the rankings weren't quite like that, they've certainly played out to two of the better, higher ranked, better ranked teams coming in, and that should be a hell of a final. I don't even have a prediction on that because I think they're two great teams. Argentina slight edge like I both the games I watched both at Thursday hour I had a contingent of a few people Adam Joe and Jane came in and um, and, and really good friends of mine they came in they to watch the yeah. game came in at like 145 and you know um, you know we threw Fox on and watched both games I think I guessed 2-0 for both those games the two high favorites I think you know I had Argentina two, and I think that ended up being three zero. Then today I said France two zero, and that's exactly how it played out. Not because I'm some great analyst. I think most people, with a gun to their head, they would probably have guessed the same. But the two, I think the two best teams are playing in the final. So that's great. And that's Sunday even, morning early, out, right. Eastern time. I think it's nine o'clock or ten o'clock Sunday morning. Will I watch it? Probably not. Is my answer. And as far as. The NFL, you know, we wanted. To, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, Mr. Tom Brady, who lost to Mr. Irrelevant on Sunday uh, against San Francisco. Brady, Rogers, Stafford, all struggling still. What, what What are your thoughts there? Do you think Brady has the slightest bit of regret for coming back? 
if he has a regret coming back, it's probably how his marriage has played out. I don't want to conjecture that their yeah. that their relationship was fantastic, other than the fact that he keeps coming back to play football and she doesn't want him to. I'm sure it runs a lot deeper than that. You know, we talk about communication all the time. If sure. you can't communicate through working a little bit more, whether it's Giselle on the runway or doing print ads or Tom playing two more NFL seasons that he said he was going to play. Yeah. I think they would have talked their way through that. I'm sure there's more regret there for, for both parties there than just him playing more football. Do I think he regrets coming back? No, because he plays in a terrible division and still has the inside track at getting They're a playoff spot playoffs, for winning yeah. the division. Yeah. I don't think there's a regret there. I think Mr. Irrelevant beat the GOAT, not because he's young and, and Tom Brady's old. I think both teams, minus the quarterback position, I think San Francisco on a scale of 1 to 10 is a 9.1 yeah. top to bottom and I think Tampa is a 6.7 they're just beat up now yeah. they're just a team wrought with injuries and they're not a great that's not a great team top to bottom I think they're showing holes on the defensive side I think when the season started of all people that picked their fantasy team with picking all the offensive teams and they're just picking a defense I think a lot of fantasy teams have worked that way I think a lot of people pick Tampa and I think if you could trade your defensive team I don't know how fantasy football works you know you, you give yeah you give my life is a fantasy I've got a great kid and I work at a restaurant where people are happy to be there so my life I don't have fantasy football but I think that's how it works if you could trade your team yeah. six seven eight games in I think a lot of people probably trade it out having Tampa Bay's defense. Right. Is that fair? Yes. Like everyone now probably has the Eagles or who's another great defense? I think the Titans, Titans. have a nice defense. Yep. You know, I could I could probably go the on The Jets on that, had a good defense. Safe to say, I would say more people, if you could just say right now, I want to take a team defensively, they would probably take, you know, another team besides Tampa Bay. So they've shown flaws on both sides of the balls. I think, I think that... Tom still has great numbers anyways. You know, he's probably in that high high 60s completion percentage. He has, he's yep. probably a, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say he's a 23-8 and eight guy for touchdowns and interceptions. I think that's yeah. embarrassingly close. Yeah, yeah. 23-8. His, to eight his touchdown numbers have been down compared to the last few years. But otherwise, 20s, low a, 20s to his efficiency is still Probably incredible. still in single digits for interceptions. So he's not doing anything to hurt that team offensively. He's only a, only a help, but he's he's in there in the top five, top six quarterbacks still. Aaron Rodgers. Oh, so much today on that. What do you what do you think? Well, about the big the big chat today was, you got him on three year one fifty, so he's making fifty million a year. They're not looking like they're going to make the playoffs. Do you cut and run on him and put Jordan Love in? And it was a very mixed bag on. No, see what you can get for Jordan Love. Right and. and ride your $50 million pony the rest of the way. And I don't mean just this year, the next two years. Or uh, do you think anyone, let me, I think, the, I think the question starts here. Do you think anyone would pick up that contract? I don't know how trading works in the in Major League or, or in NFL versus yeah. Major League Baseball. Like Major League Baseball, you'd have to also worry about would someone pick up all of that contract? Does someone think that he's worth $50 million a year at this point in his career? Right. Or can you say, all right, I'll pick that contract up, but I'm only going to pick up the last two years and $80 million of that, and not two years and the remainder of that contract, which would be $100 million. Yeah, that was a Is big, that how it works? Do you know the answer to that? The We've got to know the answer. Yeah, it can work either way. The, the, 
big issue with Baker Mayfield when they traded him to Carolina was Carolina wanted Cleveland to pick up the ten million out of the eight eighteen million of his last year. And did they? And they did, know? yes. Okay. And they did. So you can have it either way. If someone wants to pay him the one fifty, they can pay him. See, there's a lot of things you have to take into account yeah. here. Your season, let's say San Francisco, which they won't because they have Garoppolo coming back, but he's not going to be back for some time. Well, and they pay Let's all say those Team up X Rams. that needs yeah. a high-end quarterback and is a relevant team, okay? The team that was thrown around was Detroit today, okay? That they might want to make a move on another quarterback. I would not pick up Aaron Rodgers two years, $100 million moving right. forward. I would not. Personally, if I were a GM, I think he's worth let's call it 35. If someone wanted to pick up the last 30 million of that, I would consider it. So purely it's financial. Oh, it's 100% financial. Okay. But to pick up Jordan Love, you don't even know what you have in that guy. Yeah, yeah. I would never trade for him, even on his rookie contract. Because if you are operating with a B minus, C plus quarterback, there's no assurance that, that Jordan Love is going to be an improvement on that, even at rookie contract numbers, which say they're $5 million a year. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. And but that was a massive conversation on Stephen A. this morning. Well, I think also because look what Denver traded for Russell Wilson to pay him $249 million. Yeah. You know? And do you think they would go back and do that again after the production they've gotten no. out of them? And I tried to be very open-minded of, hey, this is only one year so far. Don't give up. You've got two more years of him. But... This doesn't look good. It does not look good for them. It looks like one of the worst moves in sports history is what it looks like. Well, you know You know what's worse, though? What's worse is you have, you know, you have a guy in Seattle's lighting it up for no money at all. It wouldn't look as bad as if you had what was thought to be a retread. Jeff Geno Smith, right? With Geno lighting it up. Like, if he came out, if Geno Smith was a... 15 touchdown, 10 interception, 62% completion percentage guy, you wouldn't feel as sick to your stomach. For what you gave up. Completely. If you were a Denver Bronco fan, or if you were in that front office, or you were the ownership family, you wouldn't feel as bad. But because Geno is being wildly efficient. MVP and, candidate. Yeah. yeah. With, with yeah. those numbers. Yeah. yeah. You um, wouldn't feel as bad. But I think, I think just on jersey sales alone you would make up if you were going to do it and say I'll pay 70 or 80 of that 100 million left on his contract you'll make that up in jersey sales and ticket sales for Aaron Rodgers for yeah. sure but I don't know right now for me I will use this analogy a lot on this podcast is that Penny Hardaway was the best basketball talent that didn't really pan out he had a decent NBA career but he looked like a guy who fell out of love with the game he had injuries but I think he fell out of love with it so I think you could make an argument that Aaron Rodgers is a top three quarterback of all time. I don't think anyone could say he's not a top five quarterback of all time. But does he have diminished skills? Slightly. If he was at his peak eight years ago and that was 100% of Aaron Rodgers, I think you're still at 81% of Aaron Rodgers. But the drive of Aaron Rodgers, if it was at 100% at one point, He's at 70% right yeah, now. Yeah, and I don't I don't get that because he got what he wanted. He was miserable for two years. But he was a wealthy guy before. He was. Three years, 150. 
Does that make you not as into it? Yes. Does a does a franchise and organization doesn't draft guys that you need on your side of the ball? Does that take away? Yes. Does it take away that you're playing in the frozen tundra? Yes. There are so many things that are contributing factors to him losing the love for the game and from his for his franchise. And Fair? Yeah, absolutely. You think it just all of a sudden came to a head this year, or it built up over time? He got what he wanted, and now he's like, all "How does it feel?" All contributing factors. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can't tell me Tom Brady being re- rejuvenated with feeling good about playing the game doesn't have anything to do that he's playing at an average temperature of seventy-four degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, that's huge. There's nice weather. You know, I can speak for from experience that getting into your forties, having the desire to go out into the snow or the cold weather, that's no fun. It hurts getting up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So next year, do you think Green Bay keeps Rodgers, or do you think that they move on? I think. Or they try to move. It'll. It a lot of it will come down to or is that organization going to eat part of that contract? They would have to. Right? And I yeah. think. With being a four and eight team or whatever they are, yeah, you're, you're talking about a rebuild. If you get rid of him, you're starting from scratch. And Jordan Love is your quarterback, and that team is a six point eight or a seven point two on a scale of one to ten personnel wise. Without him being at the helm, you're talking about a rebuild. If you throw Jordan Love in there at quarterback, do you agree with that? That's full-on rebuild in my Unfortunately, opinion. yes. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. They don't have the pieces moving forward. Now, we we did kind of call Minnesota Paper Tigers early on. That's a confusing team. The NFC North overall isn't like a no. one of the toughest Chicago's divisions. Chicago's a terrible organization right now. Chicago... It has been it, for it's very many sad. moves. They, I, I still... My whole thing with them was drafting Justin Fields. I would not draft an Ohio State quarterback. They just have not had much success at all. Yeah. And Chicago's gone through coaches and, I mean, coordinators. And at some point, you just, it's got to come from the from the top. And that's what's disappointing. Lastly, you know, it was tough seeing what happened to Kyler Murray. What, what's your take on Kyler Murray? Yeah, I don't. I don't like injuries are just part of sports. Yeah. That's not a super painful injury. I've had knee issues, and initially it hurts. But it's like you watching me and Carl feel he's not in massive pain. Any professional athlete at any level, even the very low end level that I played professional golf, again having a cup of coffee for a hot minute playing a PGA Tour event. I mean, I had a terrible knee injury and that was tough tough from the setback the mental side of of, of, an, of an injury is very difficult but he got paid like if he got injured during his rookie contract contract like then I feel really bad for him but he already got paid and you know it, you had a team that's not compelling do you ever sit there and go boy can't wait to I watch can't wait to watch the Cardinals even when they were playing well now you have a great quarterback for one of the franchises that really founded the NFL like I get why do I get mad at the Bears or the Packers or any of the original great teams in the NFL because there's a salary cap if you can't field a competitive team that's on you homeboy yep, yep. you got to figure that out yeah and Chicago's not done it for a long time 
and that's frustrating. Washington has not done it for a long time. There's all kinds of problems in an organization. I don't want to get into it, but if you can't feel a competitive team for a decade or more, that is on you from the top down. There is a salary cap. No. People will go and play in, in Buffalo. If you're going to play for that small marketed team where the weather is terrible, if that can be a powerful franchise, there is no excuse for you not putting a great team out. And I'm not saying it's easy. Look, I'm a restaurateur with a small restaurant in a small town. I'm not saying I'm great at what I do. And that's the problem with having a podcast. You can sound like a jerk because you're making fun of well, it's your show. the leadership yeah. of, a, of a... Yeah, but you still have a responsibility of being objective and saying, hey, there are reasons why. Maybe right. our draft pick... Well, then draft better. Right. But Front you... Office. Chicago is a great city. Bears figure it out. You know? Yeah. Cleveland is a tough blue-collar town. For them not to be able to figure it out... Yeah, they're originals as well. You're right. Listen... Buffalo is no is not looked. I've spent plenty of time in Buffalo, and it is a very nice town, but it is not seen as such. Not at all. No one in Chicago, New York City, L.A. Heaven forbid, San Diego, Miami sits there and goes, "Ah, oh, you know what? Buffalo is a pretty cool town." No one does. <laughs> but if you've spent time there, Buffalo is a decent decent town. But a lot of these football players are from the South, and they're like, "I am never going to spend any time up there." Well, guess what? They're signing free agents. They're getting people to sign on. So if you can in Chicago, the Miracle Mile, like it's a beautiful downtown. It is beautiful, right on the Great Lakes. You have the Cubs. They've had success. You've had the White Sox. They've had limited success. The Bulls. The Bulls. Okay, they kind of were successful. Watch the last dance. You know, if you have, if you can't figure that out, you can make franchises be successful in towns that don't seem initially as an attractive place to raise a family or to want to grow up. It can be done. And Buffalo had one of the longest playoff droughts. Yeah, ever. the Sabres have had success, right? Yeah. But now that's kind of a kind of a sneaky cool place to be. You got to figure it out. So, you know, is the question how would I feel about Kyler Murray? I don't feel too bad for him. Injuries are part of the sport. You're going to be out for a year and a half. You might miss all of next year. Yep. Yep. That's part of the game. No one said to you when you signed up for pro sports, it's going to be cool commercials. Yeah. Um, a lot of people being, you know, falling over you for autographs, um, you know, all the spoils that come with being a professional athlete. If someone didn't say to you, hey, you're going to go through a tough stretch between the years because you're going to have some physical injuries, yeah, that's part of the game. But he got his big contract. Um, you know, I don't know how it works. I think there's insurance on those contracts. Yeah, but clearly, they still have to pay it out. He got guaranteed. He got <laughs> right. everything guaranteed. So, I don't know what to say about that. I don't feel too bad. He doesn't seem like a very compelling guy. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he does all kinds of volunteer work. But I've never seen an interview with him and said, oh my gosh, I feel really bad for this guy. Um, and we had watched the AFC East. We watched Buffalo versus the Jets. I remember when we were there on, on Sunday. Buffalo. Are they back? Are they for real? They had you know a, a tough stretch. They the, the close game over Thanksgiving. They've still been winning. The Jets have kind of fallen off a little bit. They've had struggles with the quarterback play. New England hasn't been fantastic. Is Buffalo the team in the AFC to go through besides yeah. Kansas City? Um, Buffalo and Kansas City, and then there's everyone else. Yeah. Uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I'd say Miami was right there. Yeah. But a terrible, terrible loss to 
my Here. LA Chargers. They look so bad in that game. Yeah. Uh, Tua looks terrible right now. He looked like an MVP candidate in the last two games. He's looked bad. He's fallen off. He's looked like Russell Wilson bad. And I'm not, again, I'm not picking on him. Russell Wilson will never listen to this podcast. I do feel bad whenever I say something negative about an athlete. But Tua looked terrible. He threw passes that were so bad that they couldn't even get picked. No. He threw into coverage. He threw into double coverage. He threw into triple coverage. And the passes, passes that get picked are passes that are three feet off. Yep. Passes that are 12 feet off don't get picked. <laughs> don't get picked. And he threw two or three of those. <laughs> That LA was so conf- they were so confused that they had even a chance to pick it off. They didn't even it, those those passes could have hit them in the part of the helmet that's between the mask and the top of the face mask, where it could have gotten wedged in there. They were so bad. He was so bad in that game, and that doesn't mean he's a bad guy. I feel like always. I don't. Maybe my takes are so weak and they're minimized, but I. I keep saying that I don't think that Tua is a bad guy. He looks really cool and really composed and very articulate in his post-game interviews. But he looks confused, like there's something wrong between the ears out there. That was such a bad performance against my Bolts. They looked, they made him look great. They did not score 17 points in that game. That touchdown that Hill scored where he randomly picked up that fumble, I don't even count that as yeah, an offensive touchdown. It should. A very, very depleted and bad defense with my LA Chargers only gave up 10 offensive points in that game to what is thought of as being an offensive juggernaut I think Miami is in a very very different situation than they were two weeks ago and that's not some crazy fiery take but they look terrible Jets can really sneak in there right now Jets are in a very they play them again the Jets play talking about Miami. Miami yes. again, and yep. they've got to find a way to win that game. Yep, yep, and they, they have a quarterback situation as well. Mike White is still in there, but the team around the Jets, especially on defense, it looks just very fierce. much like the Jets, and if, if L.A. takes care of their business the rest of the way, that the Jets and the Chargers really control their destiny in that wild card picture. Yes. But I think Buffalo does look good. I, you know, I, I do feel like it is Buffalo and Kansas City for who makes it to the Super Bowl from the from the AFC side. If if the Chargers get healthy, I think they can be somewhat they can make a, a contender. Yeah, for sure. I do. And you would like the Bengals too. Yep. And but look how good LA got back when they got Michael Williams back. If you watch that game, Night Michael Williams was a force to contend with. Night and day. They are so much better team. When they can go downfield, then Eckler looks better. Everyone looks better when they have a, a threat downfield. Well, it, yeah. it changes everything you have to do defensively. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. and we are coming to the Utica exit. Utica exit. The, right. the Herkimer Wrap exit to, to Utica. And I had asked you this before. You had been to one previous Comets game, correct? Yes, yes. And you had gone before when we had the New Jersey Devils. Correct. The Devils team. They're fun to you watch. The Devils. The I love minor league sports. I do too, yeah. Because it's at a very high quality, and the tickets are one twentieth what it costs to go to an NHL or an MLB game. And I think, I mean, to talk real quickly, these huge contracts are available because of TV money. 
And because of TV money, yep. Judge, Correa, all these guys can get paid $30 million plus a year. And I just think that that's awful. It's the worst thing that ever happened to sports. Is I love watching sports on TV, so I guess I'm, you know, you're uh, part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> but if it costs me, if it truly costs me, if I wanted to go to Fenway, which I think is another, it's a, a religious experience for someone who's a baseball fan. But to watch a game there, I'd far rather watch a game on TV. I love the smells of the ballpark. I love the chowder. I love the hot dogs. I love all that at Fenway Park, and it is a great experience. But if you've been there a handful of times, I'm sorry. I probably would rather watch it on TV with the K-Zone now, the stats on TV. Like, I love the analytics. We've talked about yeah. that. But if it costs me to take Seiko to a ball game, to park, to watch a game at a really nice seat, if it costs me $600, that's BS, dude. Yeah, Total that's... Bullshit. That's uh, that's a car payment for a for a clean podcast. I will say that is absolute bullshit, and yeah. that's not going to change. I've written blogs about this. I, it's just a shame. It's not. I don't think Wes argues with me because it's such a unique talent that Aaron Judge can hit a hundred mile an hour pitch five hundred feet, and he can do it sixty times in a year. It is such a unique talent that someone can be paid such a huge salary for that. I respectfully disagree. There's not much I disagree with Wes on, but I just can't believe it's come to that. And it makes it unaccessible for the average Joe, let alone someone who doesn't have the resources to go to a game. So similar with like an NFL quarterback making $50 million. That's, that's just that's a little not a thing, man. Yeah, it's, it's nobody's worth that. And the problem is, they think they're better people. Right. They will never say that. But they think they're better people because of it. Of course they do. And the way they treat people. And listen, I don't hang around with a ton of NFL players. And the few PGA Tour golfers, the few NHL players, and I've hung out with a handful of them. And, I, and they are good people, but there are a lot of jerks that think they can treat a valet or a server or anyone poorly because of their lot in life and their unique talent. There are a lot of those. Right, right, And sure. it's just not cool. Like Seiko says all the time, and I think this is a cool point before we get off the exit, and before we give our listeners the assignment of telling us Notebook, Notebook or Bridges of Madison County. Okay. And if there's a write-in vote, they can write in something. They can write in something But Seiko always says this, and am I under any delusion that Seiko's going to be a professional athlete? If he is, great. If he serves wine for a living or if he does a podcast, I don't care what he does. I just want him to be happy. But if he does find a way to be a wildly successful athlete, he says this to me. He says, I'm going to make enough. I mean, if I sign one of those huge contracts, I am going to live on whatever I think it takes to live comfortably. And by that, I mean a modest home and take care of me because honestly, I'm not talented enough to no, retire. He's got to take care. Yep. He's got to take care of dad and yep. probably mom too. Um, after that, I am going to donate the rest of that money. Now, that is quite a claim to make, and a very easy claim to make when you were a 10 or 11-year-old. But if he ever does that, I'll be so proud of him. What a cool thing. Yeah, it's amazing that he, he's thought that far ahead and I can't really believe, honestly, to give back. I can't believe no one's done that. I can't believe there's not been one professional athlete 
who signed this huge contract and then said, I'm going to live on $1 million a year and the rest I'm going to donate. Jordan kind of did when he came back to the Wizards. He donated his entire salary to 9-11. I did not know that. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. But, you want to sign it off, Pardsy? What do you think? Yeah. Well, then uh, there's there's no more trucks on the road. We're, yeah. uh, not a lot of complaints. We, we've knocked it out. If this is some sort of traffic offense that I've done a podcast while driving, then uh, there's no proof. There's well, no, there's no visual proof. My dad's a lawyer. We'll just we call can, him. He can help me out. Yeah, we'll take care of him. Very good. And it actually sounded pretty good. I'm, yeah. I'm mildly impressed. We'll find out when we play it back to see if it... Uh, there's not a lot of background noise. If it is, I blame Ford. No, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. So, as we're off to our first Comets game, remember, when life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade. Take two oranges and throw them back at life.